Welcome to Exploring Axon, a podcast where we discuss Axon Framework, Axon Server, and their ecosystem. I am your host and the producer of this podcast, Sarah Tori. Welcome to the second part of my conversation with Shope Musaba Rahmani. In this part, we focused more on Axon products and how they've helped him and his team in their efforts to move to faster and more reliable systems, as well as the topic of communication within large teams. I hope you enjoy this part of our conversation and let's have a listen. Throughout the years, though, you have tried to improve it or um, have tried to take some of the functionality out of it and put them into more modernized systems. Um, and you do use um, patterns such as um, CQRS and event sourcing and things like that. Um, how has the progress been? And can you tell me a little bit about why um, killing of system A is... I mean, obviously, there, as you mentioned, there's hardware that's connected to the system. There's a uh, hundred other systems integrated with this. So getting rid of it um, is extremely difficult. But do you see at some point in the future that that can be a possibility and that the costs that are now involved with keeping this system running are higher than if you just kill it and then move all of the integration into another modern system. So, um, I mean, in every migration you do, sometimes uh, there's a motivation to replace that system with no other business benefits. And that usually mm-hmm. is hard to sell. Right. Um, so the strategy has always been like, uh, we want to do this and it's not possible in this old system. Uh, here are the business benefits and uh, um, so you have to sell it that way and then you get business onboarded and we have a target and in that journey, uh, indirectly, it would mean that you have to replace that old system. Mm-hmm. And, um, so and by you the... have to sell it, you mean you have to sell it to the management, basically, you have to sell the idea, right? You have to get the, um, the, first of all, your nearest kind of people that deals with uh, business questions on boarded, mm-hmm. such as business analysts and other type of analysts. And then you have to also sell it to your product owner and, and the, the ones that your have team your members as well. Team yeah. members. Yeah. Uh, why this is a good idea, because a lot of people are um, not so happy about change. doesn't matter what it is. And uh, you have to kind of convince them, hey, let's start from scratch. Let's deal with all the pains from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And that's sometimes not uh, so fun for everybody. But, and yeah, so it's it's a bit of a challenge to do that. But um, so, I mean, the journey has been that uh, 1985, uh, of course, computers work maybe invented a few years before that, but it was was very close to the invention of of computers and, and, Mm -hmm personal computers were mainstream maybe around 2000 in my in my eyes at least yeah. uh, but maybe 95 somewhere there but uh, when we built system b we were highly influenced by domain driven design uh, so greg young sorry greg young comes uh, a few years after, after that, that yeah, yeah. so <laughs> um, uh, uh, eric evans eric evans thank you yeah, yeah. Uh, so eric evans he wrote this book 2003 and 
kind of influenced us in moving into domain-driven design. So in the system B, we try to um, capture the various domains, but we did a few mistakes there in retrospect. Mm -hmm. And uh, we ended up with big monolithical domains. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. So solutions, there was like one domain connected to one service. Uh, the lesson we learned there was that, okay, so now we went from system A having um, yearly releases or a half a year releases to system B that could have quarterly releases. Mm -hmm. But then you had to deal with a whole bunch of uh, release management and uh, deployment management and, you know, all the kind of admin that comes along yeah. with that. So... Um, and what we saw that, okay, so if you have one domain, one service, and that domain happens to be big, um, a lot of the uh, changes that comes in, change requests, uh, will mean that almost all developers will be sitting and coding on the same code base, and they mm. would collide. And they would collide, so it would mean that we cannot uh, push uh, time to market, would be slow. And that, yep. of course, is not good. Just a side note is that the project size is in three digits. Um, so usually you, we would have somewhere around 100 to 400 people yeah. um, working and coding. and On the uh, same monolith. On the same monolith. Oh my God. Okay. And, uh, uh, Hopefully in I, the same time zone, though. <laughs> yeah. It, but at it this was, point, it I think was, it yeah. is. So, yeah, we, we had uh, also from different time zones at some point oh, later okay. on. But... The, the funny thing was that, you know, um, so you would have, of course, a lot of juniors, a lot of people that didn't know the code base and mm -hmm. you would, we didn't have pull requests back then. No, kind of, that kind of uh, collaboration was not in place. The yeah. culture was not there. So you would have people like, you know, I, I would do refactoring of one code base. And I was like, oh, that's great. I fixed that. And then I would have around 200 commits. Uh, oh that was the other direction. And I had to like, oh no, I fixed one, <laughs> but I got 200 new problems to deal with. Um, yeah. So you learn that, yeah, okay, so I might know uh, as an individual uh, some patterns, some good practices, but it doesn't scale that I know it. I have to spread this out to my colleagues. I have to make sure that everybody works the same way I work. So um, that was a learning for me to uh, understand that, uh, yeah, so you might know a few things, but um, you have to make sure that your colleagues are also on the same boat. And yeah. that way you move faster. So I'm going to uh, come back to the uh, communication side of things a little bit later as well. But um, in, in this particular time era, how do you communicate with a 200-ish team do you have like daily huddles? I mean, do you say, hey guys, we have uh, 65 issues and you 10 go work on this. You 10 go, how do you manage and organize that? Um, I mean, so so uh, around the same time, I think we have this, uh, uh, is it Sutherland that came up with Scrum? Uh, I think it's, yeah, that's probably his name. I don't know his first name. But uh, we were influenced by Scrum and uh, Agile mm -hmm. ways, ways of working. So that was um, something we thought would solve our problem to get rid of all the meetings we had. 
So we started to have various scrum and we went into all kind of scrum uh, rabbit holes. This is mm -hmm. not scrum or that is scrum. And, <laughs> you know, all the, those kind of discussions, morning meetings, scrum of scrums. And uh, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, in the end, um, what we realized is that uh, we need to have smaller uh, teams and mm -hmm. uh, some of the some of the integrations we've done really need um, 200 people. It's just mm -hmm. a configuration and they, they just throw money at it because uh, if you have a deadline in, let's say a month and all you have to do is a configuration, then that's probably a solution. It's not mm -hmm. a good solution, but it would work. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it is, um, it's a bit challenging. Um, the uh, I, I forgot your. I'm not answering your question. I think no, no, <laughs> I lost it's my fine. Track. No, yes. you you actually you, you did you did because it was a uh, in in terms of you know how do you organize this uh, this these many problems or issues and things like that in a, in a big team and how do you manage that communication? Which yes, you absolutely did answer that question. Which um, you adapted <laughs> Scrum and then the Scrum of Scrums and then ultimately right. decided to break the teams yeah. into smaller um, groups. Sure. I mean, so, so yeah, yeah. So just to, to um, say a few words about uh, more about that is that, you know, it didn't solve the problem unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just made it a bit more um, manageable, but it right. was still, uh, there is overhead of maintaining hundred people and, and so on. So um, I wouldn't say that we solved it. We just uh, learned to deal with it. And uh, when you work in an organization as such, uh, size, you get used to things moving very slowly. Um, mm -hmm. And then as I was trying to, uh, so one example I, I maybe mentioned is that uh, <laughs> yes. I, I requested since we were in four time zones at the same time, I said, hey, why don't we put a clock on the wall? And that entire process took a year and it ended up in a different wall somewhere else. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> So you were basically asking, can we just put four clocks, like physical clocks on this okay. wall so that we can just keep an eye on who's working at which time zone? And exactly. and that took yeah. a year and it ended up in a wrong in the wrong spot place anyways. Then, exactly. Yeah. So so you learn to uh, oh be goodness. very patient with everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I and I think patient with yourself as well, because I can I can see myself in a situation like that, getting so frustrated and stressed out and like, why isn't it moving? Well, I think hence I work for uh, a smaller company, which is <laughs> less hierarchical. And yeah. Um, so speaking of hierarchical, so as you mentioned, things have to be um, moved at a certain rate, which is very slow rate, but also through various uh, layers of management and uh, who's going to, approve this request and so on um has with with the technologies that you're adapting on a regular basis i'm assuming and you are early adapters for instance for uh, domain-driven design patterns or uh, as you mentioned for scrum so you you are a team that is looking out for these new technologies that are coming out and you are trying to take advantage of these to uh, help make the project move more smoothly or you know, resolve problems that you have at hand. How has the adoption been for you in terms of the speed and the rate that they are approved? 
Um, uh, what do you mean by that? So, for instance, if you want to use a new technology, let's say, um, hey, we want to use a framework because it's going to make our lives easier. Um, do you get the approval from, um, let's say, the project owner or other people involved and in, say paying the bill for this framework, for instance, mm. is that a quicker process or do you still have to go through months of waiting before something is resolved? And by the time that is approved, another technology has popped up that's going to help you even more with the problem. Um, I think yes and no. Uh, so, so, so my favorite answer, it depends, I guess. Yeah, it depends. It definitely depends on, on um, who's doing what exactly. So in, in early on, um, me and my colleagues learned the lesson that some of these technical upgrades should not be uh, a decision outside of the team. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we kind of negotiated that um, into um, uh, having the liberty of choosing uh, as long as we deliver. Um, okay. So there is autonomy within the team. So we negotiated that into the okay. team. <laughs> I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't say there is. There is current, constantly being kind of, you know... Um, uh, poked and so on but uh, as far as uh, I think some of us are around we will not let that uh, change and mm -hmm. of course to a certain extent uh, you can do decisions but when it comes to license and, and costs like that that needs to be escalated and kind of approved higher up um, but it depends who does it so I mean that goes back a little bit to who is asking um, and in in um, some of the things that we did was branding. So we branded ourselves as uh, um, by proving that our solutions worked. And when we were asking for it, there was a uh, little doubt that it was for just, you know, playing around. And yeah. there was some trust uh, mm -hmm. that, okay, it's being asked by this team. So most likely they definitely need it. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the uh, a lot of the mm, let's say mainstream tools or bleeding edge technologies that uh, I have seen and dealt with is uh, maybe not needed by a small scale solution, mm -hmm. but when you're dealing with global uh, problems, you're also dealing also at a higher scale. Uh, you have uh, maybe two thousand services. How do we do a dependency upgrade? In 2000 services, all of a sudden, that's like a, that's a lot of uh, work. I mean, if you have five services, nobody cares. It's just a small kind of upgrade. But if you have 2000, then you need to, um, you need to automate this. You need to think about, okay, how do we not do this again? If you have this log for j just we had that as a reference. Oh, right? yes, I remember that. Just imagine that. Uh, so... Even in five services, it caused a lot of problem for a lot of people. But exactly, yeah, I can yeah. imagine. So I will have a lot of those occurrences. And we need to come up with a way of not um, doing this uh, manual work. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think we did uh, uh, some early versions of, of a bot that went and did uh, these changes for us. And this was long before uh, the plugins such as Dependabot and Dependency yeah. Bot and so on came. So we did this internally out of our, because we wanted to focus on, on the right things. Uh, mm -hmm. So we invested as a team to uh, automate. And I think automation was one of the 
uh, first things that helped us to push on and be successful and try to win the war with this 1985 solution. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so it's, um, so it, yeah, it depends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, and it should depend. I mean, we're, we're talking about a system that's very old and a team that's very big and, you know, various solutions uh, can be put into resolving a problem or several problems in this case. Has there been a time that you decided on a solution, uh, maybe think several years ago, and you sold the idea to your team and everybody else and everybody was on board with that? And now, today, looking back and thinking, hmm, that was not the right solution. How do we improve this? And then you have to, uh, yet again, sell another idea to some of these team members that I understand have still been with the company for decades. And maybe they look at you and say, well, that was your solution or that was your team's solution um, several years ago. How come you want to change it now? Well, obviously especially being in the software world, things change quite rapidly. How yeah. do you convince people that, yeah, at the time that was the best idea, but now we have to change it? <laughs> do you get, do you ever get this question of like, but that's your solution or that was your team's solution? So you deal uh, with that. Yeah, a variation of that I do get. So I mean, in mm -hmm. um, so the system B has uh, uh, a lot of kind of, let's say, um, my design in it and... Um, and around 2016, we went on and built another system, System C. Mm -hmm. In System B, there is currently around maybe 40 people working. And uh, System C was also something that I was highly involved in and built um, and designed. And that was uh, almost eight years ago or more, mm -hmm. uh, 2016, that's plus four. Yeah, so this was more than eight years ago. And then I left and started working on a new variation of the same uh, system D. Now, when I go back and uh, try to address some of the issues we have in system B, or where the 40 people are sitting, they don't even know that I have been involved. Okay. But so that's uh, a good thing. That's a good thing. But they are highly motivated in selling my ideas to myself. And... <laughs> It's a bit of an out-of-body experience because um, it's like you have built a castle and you know exactly all the secret rooms and yeah. another tenant has moved in and they don't necessarily know why those rooms are there. Mm -hmm. And you tell them you don't need that. And they're like, yeah, 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 we do it. It's, it's there for <laughs> this reason. And we're like, no, that's not why we built it. And it, we have a lot of conversations in, in, that, in that way. Yeah. Um, do so, you ever re do you ever reveal that that was your idea, or do you just keep it? Sometimes I do get frustrated, and I say, "Hey guys, this is something I did," uh, but I try to avoid that because I'm yeah, not sure. proud of it. It's, it's like you know, at the same time, you're shooting yourself and saying that I did those mistakes, or I, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. But I mean, everybody. Um, I mean, anything we do, uh, a few. Uh, yeah, months back is probably horrible in any any developer's eyes. Uh, we do uh, tend to progress, uh, of course. hopefully in the right direction. 
I mean, looking at it in normal life, I I would not make the decisions I made 20 years ago, even though at the time they seemed like a good idea. <laughs> now I'm looking yeah. at it, I'm like, did I really say that or do that? <laughs> you know how fa- I, I, I'm unfortunately part of Facebook, but sometimes you see these like, oh, you this memory happened 10 years ago and I read through some of the stuff that I wrote. I'm like, oh my God, did I really write this? You know, that's, that's, that's the same thing situation that you know anytime you make a decision it probably is a good idea at the time but then you look at back at it 10 years may not be the best idea right now in this state so i don't think there's anything wrong with um hey we, we did this in the system and now we just have to change it because there are better things available there are better solutions and let's move on with the times um i did ask this question but i'm not uh, sure if we got to the and I don't know if there's a yes or no answer to this, but this system A, um, do you think it will ever die? Or do you do you foresee it going on for another four decades? So uh, I've come to believe that it will. Uh, and, and the reason for that is that uh, as long as the systems are more or less replacing themselves in, in let's call it just new technology, same function, uh, same idea, then it will be hard to replace it. But if the technology is capturing a new behavior, so for instance, uh, web is mainstream now. When we built that system A, it was not. It was meant for some other reason, uh, more more kind of a human-to-human interaction. And now we're kind of driving it into this new um, uh, web uh, and, and highly integrated, highly connected to the customer, customers connected to the to the store as, as if they are the uh, co-worker. They can do whatever mm-hmm. the co-worker can do more or less with small um, differences. And the, the behavior has changed a lot. It's more of a journey now than before. It was just an order. Now it's a journey um, for the customer. And they will come back and they will do other things. Um, so... When these things happen, the fundamentals will change. And when the fundamentals change, it's like, you know, uh, as an analogy, we're using Newton's law and now we've moved on to Einstein. So right. the, the, the physical laws have changed so that you cannot no longer rely on Newton. Um, so <laughs> you would just move on. And, right. and that has been happening now with system D, which I'm involved in, where we're using event sourcing and... Um, uh, event-driven architecture. Uh, the fundamentals has changed. Uh, we have new possibilities, and that has allowed us to question some of the uh, behaviors in the application. Mm-hmm. Simple example is that you would have a, a CRUD system where it would save an order, and uh, you would have a button called save, save order. Now, if you capture the small steps, uh, for instance, add item, add services, and so on, uh, what does save order do? What does it do? I mean, before it was uh, making sure that this huge object capturing all your items and everything was saved to the persistence layer. Mm -hmm. But now you do that in, in smaller steps. So the save goes away. I don't need that in the same way. Um, and 
that has a ripple effect uh, as a small example in, in the usability of the application and in the workflow. Um, so that uh, eventually means that um, we don't need to rely on the system A anymore. And we also don't need to, uh, some of the insights also with events uh, and um, commands and all those other message types is that they are asynchronous uh, and you don't necessarily mm -hmm. need the synchronicity right. uh, to, to connect with. And then some of these applications, you can deal with them later on. And that right. later on can be, um, doesn't need to be, you don't have the same demands on them, on them so you can scale them down. You can mm -hmm. shut down a few things and uh, we don't need to buy the latest computers for those. So it, it just mm -hmm. kind of calms down and maybe fades out. I don't think it will be like a logarithmic curve, I think, to mm -hmm. system A. I yeah. don't think it will completely go away, but it will go away to the extent where we're almost there. There's less dependency on it, which sure. is which yeah. is great. And um, so, from my understanding, is that you're now um, trying at least to take a lot of the logic that or the business logic that was inside of System A out of it and put it in more distributed places where um, you can play around with how those other systems are functioning or integrating with one another, and what is downstream or what is upstream, and that way you can. Um, rely on system a much less instead you can make other systems um, more independent of one another and only when needed really communicating with each other am i understanding that correctly yeah so that's for sure the uh, the that's what we're seeing uh so the reliance is is removed and uh we can put other systems as the main um uh fronts so mm -hmm. one example where um, i would say things have changed a lot when moving into this um, event-driven architecture uh, if we're just moving into that um, system d uh, mm -hmm. a little bit uh, is that before as an analogy again you have to stop me if it doesn't make sense but <laughs> sure. so we would force you if you would want to mail an uh, um, a package to to some end user we would force you to stay in that post office until the mail has arrived and then mm -hmm. we would let you go um, whereas uh, what we're doing now is that we give you a receipt and we say you're free and then we mail it i mean that's how the mail uh, and parcels work right so you don't force people mm -hmm. to stay there but we did so yeah. when you saved an order uh, we forced the end user consumer of this api or the client to wait until we've saved it into thousands of downstream um, sources and then we would give it thumbs up. We did it. Mm -hmm. And that would be like 2.5 seconds on average later, or it would be like 10 seconds later. Uh -huh. um, whereas now what we do is uh, we just generate a grid and uh, mm -hmm. give it back. And here's your grid, here's your receipt. You can follow up on this order but we'll deal with the saving uh, in our own pace and you right. can check up on that. So the experience have changed a lot. Uh, yeah. It's perceived I can imagine it's faster. a lot faster as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So going back to your earlier question about selling this to management, mm -hmm. one of the early 
POCs uh, we had to do on this was uh, basically showing the idea is going to work. And uh, uh, so we had this uh, performance of 2.5 seconds to save an order to beat. And we basically generated the GUID and uh, returned that. And we went from 2.5 seconds to an average of 40 milliseconds. Mm, um, that's huge. That's a huge <laughs> difference. And it was like, uh, so all the monitoring and observability tools we have would show uh, show the graphs as a stock market crash because um, the the response time was so low that it looked like a flat line. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <laughs> nothing's happening. <laughs> nothing is happening. What is going on? And uh, and the other charts were also there because we didn't roll it out everywhere at the same time. We just rolled it out to a specific region, so you would mm-hmm. see the old system versus this new system. And uh, somebody calculated what the performance was. It was somewhere in the two thousand five hundred percent better. Oh. So, in uh, in the uh, journey of building system D, mm-hmm. we um, we were quite tired of uh, building infrastructure, mm-hmm. and you know every time you rebuild the same system, some of the old infrastructure will repeat itself. Oh, we have to have this and that, and uh, what we want to deal with is replace all the features and not deal with the uh, infrastructure. And that's kind of a cloud native thinking as well. So mm-hmm. how do we use the tools we have and not build our own infrastructure? And in the cloud uh, uh, window we went with, it uh, didn't have the, a lot of, I mean, I think almost all of them don't have an event store. Mm-hmm. Um, not the way you would think. Uh, so, uh, and it doesn't scale well. And uh, we don't want to deal with that. So mm-hmm. that's where we kind of touched on the Axon um, um, products. And also, when looking at the uh, solution, uh, so we kind of learned that we don't want to do a normal um, a traditional three-tier architecture because we have to sacrifice on a whole bunch of we have to basically compromise on either improving our read or write. Mm-hmm. And which one is most important? Well, it depends, depending on which flow you're in. And all our, our flows are used um, depending on who is doing what. So for refunds, maybe the read is, uh, the write is um, more. And for uh, order creation is also right, but customers, from their end, they might do a whole bunch of reviewing of their orders. So uh, it was a hard choice to make. So then we kind of moved into this CQRS um, and not necessarily, I mean, so so the strategy is always to look at the problem and then choose the tools right? and not the opposite way. So mm-hmm. we looked at the problem and then chose the tools that were closest and one of them was CQRS, then in this case as a pattern. And that also meant that we had to build a few um, supports to make it easy for us. Mm-hmm. There we found the Exxon framework to be the most kind of um, having the biggest community. And mm-hmm. 
So did you start, sorry to interrupt you, but did you start to um, build something in-house first uh, when you found out about CQRS or you thought, hey, this is a good pattern to use. Let's look to see what tools are out there. Um, uh, so the first iteration of um, the event-driven sourcing, event sourcing was when uh, we were doing system B. Oh, okay, um, so that was a while ago. Yeah, so yeah. 2009, Greg Young and Udi Dahan, when they were mm -hmm. doing this uh, presentations, we got into, uh, it was interesting, but we had such a big system and mm -hmm. it just didn't make sense. So we did some POCs here and there um, with various um, results, some of them in .NET, where we would use some uh, frameworks that people have built and kind of uh, improved on, on them. Mm -hmm. um, but this time around, um, we there were so many so many variables that we had to kind of uh, play with. So um, the the axon seemed to be at least something that was proven, and we didn't have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. So it was uh, a steady variable, so that we can focus on everything else. Makes sense, right? And then moving towards the uh, what you mentioned earlier about. Uh, you looked at the uh, cloud provider that you were using at the time and looking at others and in terms of uh, storing the data or um, you were interested in event sourcing and none of them did have that event store um, that was dedicated event store for um, the purpose of saving the events and having access to them quickly or replaying them and so on. You Did you start using Axon Framework and through that then uh, became familiar with Axon Server and then decided to give that a try? Or was it a different process for you? Um, I think um, the the event store came first for us because, I mean, that was mm -hmm. what was missing. Everything else we could potentially build. Right. Um, and you could also build the event store yourself, but it was slightly out of scope for for the for the project. And it would mean that we'd spend years on something that wouldn't really be in, in the right direction. So sure. we compared um, the event store of um, Axon and also the other event store, which is called Event Store. Yeah. Um, and uh, there are different different approaches. Uh, I think what, what kind of ended up um, for us to choose this one was the framework support. Uh, whereas the other one didn't have it. So we were kind of still had to build the framework and the community is slightly weaker. Yeah. And um, strategically, it's simpler to uh, to um, get everyone onboarded on something that is stronger in, in the mm -hmm. community has license as support because then you can uh, then you can get support on questions you don't have the answer to. And mm -hmm. uh, I uh, considered um, our team as toddlers. I mean, even though, yes, you've read how to swim, but you don't know what's going to happen <laughs> when you get into the water. So yeah, uh, it was the same thing for us. I mean, so we've done a lot of event-driven architecture, uh, but still I would say that we didn't know uh, what we were doing. So it was good to get into... Um, 
this community to get some real answers of somebody that has done this and has experience. Yeah. And uh, you did hint to the uh, topic of um, going basically from, uh, and uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was uh, the the matter of uh, receiving that um, receipt, for instance, that you said it it would save and uh, you would give the receipt then to um, the user or customer uh, in 2.5 seconds. And then it went into uh, 14 milliseconds using uh, the, the different technology because it was a- asynchronous and um, uh, you didn't have to wait for everything to be saved and then give that receipt to. Um, so this sort of 2,400, 2,500% improvement, um, did Axon Server help with that uh, or did you sort of try this through other things and got to that improvement through other tools? Um I don't think, I mean, so Axon Server is doing this event's uh, storage, but the event-driven architecture was mainly, I think, credited for, for, for that work. part. Yeah. But yeah. there are other aspects of the solution where you could say that Axon Server has helped us, and that's in the way of working with this technology, mm-hmm. uh, way mm-hmm. of thinking about it, and also to remove some of the concerns. So I think the Axon Server was there as a foundation as part of the stack but the solutioning was not you know axon server did not in any way say you should solve it this way sure. uh, so i think that came um i mean that could still be done without axon server we could still do a grid generation and give it to the customer um but um i think the, all other aspects of it is where we get the muscles from from Axon Server. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so it's a sort of a, a combination of um, various, not just tools, but also um, habits, if I can call it that, and uh, sort of adapting various um, thoughts on how, how to optimize this. We did talk a little bit about communication uh, earlier, about having a big team and how do you organize things and communicate with uh, with the team. Talking about this date in 2023, I'm assuming you don't just have 200 developers or 400 developers. You probably have thousands at this point and working in various time zones and things like that. And um, with your team specifically, you now live in a vastly different time zone. How do you manage these communications and how do you manage these? Uh, Because you are, uh, again, talking about changing technologies and moving towards different maybe patterns and uh, selling your ideas or convincing people being now in a distributed team as well not just distributed systems how do you manage that um so i think you know going back to what i said earlier is that making sure the team members are almost as um thinking in the same way as as uh as everyone, everybody else, we are in the same coherent uh, understanding of what we want, uh, making sure that, for instance, our pull requests have uh, a certain level of quality and expectation, making sure that we have some automation in place that mm, would catch if somebody is not following some standards. Uh, that removes the immediate need of, for instance, uh, somebody being there as a police. Um, so that 
removes the need of us being connected to 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 each other uh, synchronously. I want to mm-hmm. call it that, right? And uh, we've also removed the uh, we call it decoupled the Scrum Master. We don't have a Scrum Master. We don't work with Scrum anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. We've just thrown out the entire um, word. We don't use it. We just pick things from it. And uh, mm-hmm. right now we're doing something, I would say, along the lines of Agile. Um, mm-hmm. And we started with nothing. We started with no meetings. And um, we saw that, hey, if we have a chance of talking once a week, we'll talk for hours. Something is yeah. wrong. So we added uh, a little piece of, of the Agile way of working. Um, twice a week and we found this good level of three times a week um, uh, sinking uh, as we call it and then um, uh, we have also these new tools that we are using such as slack and so on that kind of removes a lot of the mail chains Uh, the and 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 so, so a new kind of development that I have started to believe in is that some of the meetings are a bug. So <laughs> I like that. I am so going to steal that from you and use uh, it. Um, I mean, the way I think about it is that, okay, so why do we leave this meeting? Uh, is it because we don't have good enough explanation? Am I here just to explain how things work? Mm-hmm. And if I'm here just to explain that, we just need a good manual or we need some better tutorials. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, going in with that mentality in every meeting and saying, okay, so this is potentially a bug. Um, shouldn't be here, um, right. but let's deal with it. And some of them you have workarounds, you just attend the meeting and so on. But yeah. not not all meetings are bugs, but most of them are. Yeah. And um, so... Um, so trying to kind of capture those problems and automating them. So we have, for instance, a team member joins. Uh, we have a automated bot that greets that uh, team member. And uh, it takes them through the journey of installing and whatever they need and accesses, who they should contact. And in the end, they have a running service um, in their machine and they're good to go and they know basics of various um, aspects of the system and that usually takes a couple of days Um, same thing is under progress for our consumers so since Mm -hmm. we're doing an api layer uh, in system d only and and the applications the ui parts are separate projects um, we are essentially having them as our consumers and we're trying to improve their journey so that would be a separate automation for them right. and yeah so so working in that way um has been kind of yeah um <laughs> that's really great because now you're uh taking care of onboarding whether it's a team member or a user uh, much easier and uh yeah absolutely i think asynchronous communication is a lifesaver uh, for distributed teams because for me i'm for most of my team members, I'm seven hours behind. So by the time I get my working day started, um, they're pretty much done with their working day. So I get on Slack and I see all of the messages. It usually takes me a couple hours to just go through everything. But then 
it gives me a clear idea of, okay, so we're here um, and this is the way forward, which is really nice. So that's really, really great that um, those tools exist nowadays that, you know, make it possible for us to work from anywhere, basically, and uh, still be connected very much with each other. Um, really great insight. I think at some point, Shopei, you may want to consider writing a book on your <laughs> experiences of working with a yeah. system that's 40 some years old. Now I have to ask you this. Does anyone who worked initially on the 1985 uh, system a are there anyone who's still with the company yes uh there okay. is actually one or two uh, and, okay and they they i mean that's amazing that they have been able to so i mean as a software engineer one of the key core skills we have is to be able to learn and learn yeah. learn fast and the better you do that the more the more kind of adaptable you are Right, and these two are definitely one of those. Um, so they've gone from Pascal to C plus plus, from C plus plus to .dot .net, .dot .net, .net Java, Java <laughs> from Java to Kotlin, and changing. Also, I mean, they—it's funny they—they they, when you talk to them, they also sometimes say, "Oh, this is a fashion. We've seen this before. <laughs> this came at this era," and they start to talk about the connections. And mm -hmm. it's funny that we still, we do have also like, you know, reoccurring events in software development that they come and go. Um, yeah. So we have front end focus and then we have back end focus. We have client driven versus back end driven and it mm -hmm. comes and goes like that. And yeah, so they're still around. This is amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the, the amount of knowledge these individuals have. It's, it's just really fascinating. It's fast and, and I've heard that from um, a lot of architects as well who are um, in their third or fourth decade of uh, their career journey in software. And they always hint at, oh, this is not a new thing that people think it's just a new thing that came up yesterday. This existed in the 70s and 80s. We just kind of forgot about it. And it's really fascinating to hear those and see that um, what we believe as new trends actually existed a long time ago and they're just kind yeah. of so i mean I, a lot of times I, repeating themselves i have i have some some battles of my own with new kind of developers like let's say new developers are those who worked for five and ten years um they, they don't necessarily know anything about domain driven design mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of like why do we need this um and uh, i think robert c martin said something about that every Every five years, the number of software engineers doubles. So, mm -hmm. so we are, let's say, a million now. I don't know how many we are, but just as an example, then in five years there will be two million. But then, you know, it, it gets a bigger ocean of of people who didn't people know who anything. Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's difficult, and they produce a lot of articles out there, and uh, yeah. So we have to kind of. Yeah, help out with that. Absolutely, which is uh, which is a huge task in it itself, but a, sure. a good one, right? You know, it's always nice to have that opportunity for for folks to learn, and uh, this is why we're doing this podcast, right? To sure yeah. to help them also understand some of these patterns better. Fantastic, Shopei, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your experience, all of your uh, learnings throughout your journey with everybody. I really appreciate that. Um, and you 
do have a lot that uh, we didn't even get to talk about today, but I hope that we come back and uh, dive a little bit deeper into some of these topics with you at a, at a future time. But I want to appreciate you being here today and uh, spending some time with me. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, hope to talk to you guys again. Absolutely. Have a great one. Thank you. I do hope you enjoyed our conversation. Please join me next time for more amazing topics with wonderful guests. Until then, have a great time and happy coding.